Hello, I'm Ramey. And this is Dakota. And this is Leveling Duo, the podcast where two lifelong friends discuss video games that made us who we are today. Dakota, what are we talking about, man? Well, today I figured I'd talk about my experience with the Dragon Quest series. I have very little experience with it. Well, uh, for those that know, basically it's classic JRPG title. One of the noteworthy things about the series is that the creator of Dragon Ball, Akira Toriyama, is also the main illustrator for the artwork for the Dragon Quest series, which it was originally known as Dragon Warrior in its first couple of releases. That about as much as I do know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, again, like classic JRPG style, you know, like you follow a fairly linear story, usually got some fairly eccentric characters, you fight typically in a turn-based style combat, you travel around going through the story, generally with the classic formula of picking up allies around the way and adding them to your party, usually ones with integral abilities that allow you to progress. Instead of power-up items, you get power-up people. Usually most of your characters will have a class or classes that they can choose from, and as they level up, you can basically add skill point into those areas. Typically, even if you max out a character, a lot of times you're not going to get enough skill points to max out everything. So usually the best thing to do for the end game is that you do want to pick a specialty. Something to make yourself much better in one particular... Well, if you want to get access to those, like, end-tier abilities, you basically have no choice but to funnel the majority of your skill points into those skill trees. Which, my first experience was uh, on PlayStation 2 with Dragon Quest VIII, Journey of the Cursed King. So, you missed a few. Up until that point, I wasn't really like a huge RPG gamer. Uh, Like, I'd played Final Fantasy VII and beat it on the original PlayStation, and that was kind of like my first introduction to kind of like JRPGs. What really got me was the artwork, because I was, still am, a big Dragon Ball fan. So when I saw the artwork, I was like, well, hey, this is, you know, like, this pretty cool looking. You know, I'll check this out and see what it was into. With this particular game, you follow its silent protagonist style game, where uh, you and your party of allies journey uh, towards the goal of defeating the wicked Dual Magus, the person responsible with cursing the kingdom of Trodane and its people that you and your party are partially from. Which, spoilers, you are traveling with the king and the princess of Trodane which the curse transformed the king into a little, like, toad gremlin creature, and the princess into a horse. Oh, no. And uh, she pulls the carriage. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Maybe all the king needs is a nice kiss. Well, unfortunately, uh, even after they uh, go through their journey, they defeat Dulmegas. Unfortunately, that does not break the curse, and there's uh, more adventuring that happens and takes place, which is also classic Dragon Quest formula. The original Big Bad is usually controlled or influenced by some other great Big Bad. That is the true final boss of the game. Is it someone you've usually met before, like foreshadowing could be done? Possibly. A lot of times, though, it's usually like someone or some sort of entity that's very ancient and very powerful that you don't really gain access to information about till typically near end game, just because of like what it is. Which in one of the newer ones, Dragon Quest Eleven, that I've played, uh, essentially like it's chronologically like it's actually a prequel to the rest of the series, from the way I understand it. Now I could be wrong, I'm and sure. you know, like any of you listeners out there, like correct me if I'm wrong. But it's a prequel 
to actually the very first chronological Dragon Warrior game, because this hero takes the title of a true luminary, and with that he also takes the name of the, you know, hero. And as the legend goes, in I think it's Dragon Warrior 3 is technically the chronologically first game in the series. Like, it takes place before 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Eleven takes place before 3. Because 3, you're named after the ancient hero. It was supposed to be the very first Luminary. Okay, so it would have to be. Either that or they just call you the new Luminary for no mm-hmm. apparent reason. Which, in the game itself, there's an ancient Luminary 2 for your timeline. And is very reminiscent of the character designs from, like, the first couple of the Dragon Warrior games. However, as far as, like, the lore goes, you're the hero that actually defends the world and defeats the evil at the very end. And saves it in, like, a total sense, not just, like, a temporary sense. I'll put it this way. It's a lovely game, especially, like, if you're a person like me that enjoys the grind... Likes the leveling, especially if you enjoy that style of artwork. The characters are really fun. The story's very well written. And you've got good hours of gameplay there. I could see how it would be fun for some. I always fall off of them when I try them. I just can't make it click. Well, if you want a hard mode, they have (laughs) something in Dragon Quest XI called Dracovian Mode. In uh, this mode, basically, whenever you start a new game, and you can only do this when you start a new game, there's a list of restrictions that you can place on yourself for in-game. And with those restrictions in place, at any point in time you can remove the restrictions, but you can't add them back. So if you want like a true playthrough on true hardcore mode where you got everything on that turned on, that's going to be some rough stuff. Yeah, and you could always feel lesser than the people who didn't have to turn them on. Well, some of them are, you can't buy items from shops. So, like, you literally have to depend on, like, item drops and what you find. So, when it comes to upgrading weapons and stuff, like, you can't depend on shops. Some stuff increases enemies' health. Let's see. Actually, like, hold on a second. Like, we live in 2023. You can Google it. The Year of Our Lord 2023. (laughs) Several options with the Draconian uh, restrictions, or Draconian quests, as they're called. Uh, One is no shopping. You cannot buy any item whatsoever from any shop. Another is no armor. Can't equip anything to any of your characters. Uh, Another is reduced experience from easy fights. And enemies are too weak, they grant zero experience. Uh, Another one is uh, all enemies are super strong. uh, Meaning that they'll be just stronger than normal. Yeah. Uh, Another one is uh, your characters will be randomly afflicted with something called shy pox. (laughs) What? Basically what that means is that they'll be randomly afflicted with the status ailment that they're like shy or bashful, mm-hmm. so that they'll randomly lose a turn. Okay. If you have super shy pox turned on, <laughs> then it's like normal shy pox, but it's for the entire party. This is harder than Dark Souls sounding. Got three more. Oh, good God. Uh, another one is Townsfolk Talk Tripe. NPCs will sometimes say random things, so it can like mess with you, like your ability to complete quests sometimes. Uh, Another is, uh, which this one is kind of rough, which is actually one that I've played around with before, and it it does give you a different meaning with the strategy of playing. 
is that uh, your party gets wiped out when the protagonist perishes. That makes perfect sense that it would happen in real life. To where, like, if the main character dies, like, there's no resurrection spell for him or anything, like, it's game over. Yeah. Like, he has to be the last man standing, if anybody. And then the last option is uh, no fleeing from battle. In a lot of, like, JRPGs, like, whenever you enter a fight, or, like, for those that play Pokemon, you know, like, when you, like, encounter a random... You don't always have to sit there and battle, like you have the option to run away. Poke dolls. Yeah. Well, basically in this, like in Dragon Quest, like you have the option to do that as well. Like you don't have to always sit there and fight just when you encounter a battle. Yeah. Unless it's like a story battle. Those you can't run away from if it's like a boss fight. Which is pretty also pretty classic for most games. But imagine if you were trying to play a game where you had every single one of these turned on. So that means you can't buy items, you can't equip armor, uh, your uh, experience is reduced all the way around, so your ability to level up is going to be like harder, and it's going to be harder the more you level up, uh, because the stronger you get, the less experience you'll get. Enemies are going to be tougher all the way across the board, which super shy pox your entire party will randomly lose a turn in battle. Uh, the NPCs will sometimes impede your ability to complete your quests. If the main character dies, you receive a game over automatically. And if you, in every single battle you go into, no matter what it is, you have to fight because you can't flee. Especially in a game where they just pop up out of the blue, mm -hmm. random encounter kind of thing. I can see it being quite tedious, if nothing else. Yeah. If you're someone that's like played the game a bunch and like you're looking for that extra grind or extra level of difficulty... Yeah. You know, like it's there. But if you want to play it on an easier mode, just fully experience the game, I say go for it because, like I've said many times before, guys, the games are there for you to have fun, not to stress about. You want to make it harder? You enjoy the stress and the grind? That's what floats your boat? That's good for you. Go for it. It's not for me. But there's no shame in wanting to just sit there and enjoy the game, you know, for what it is. I have very few games that involve that kind of grind that I want to play. I don't mean it as a slight. I love to watch people play JRPG sometimes. Oh, I completely get it. I like the artwork. I like the characters as well. It's the only mm -hmm. reason I tried to play the game. I like the art and the characters, but I just cannot get certain parts of the gameplay out of my way. I can understand that, which between the two that I've talked about today, so far 8 and 11, 8 is still my favorite over 11, which 11 is more seamless and has like quote-unquote better graphics. Yeah. Eights hasn't aged quite as well, like it shows its age. Eleven also, the newer version of it, or the revamp version, or whatever they call it, you could revamp your whole gameplay to look like an old, what is it, 16-bit, 18-bit kind of game? Mm hmm Am I wrong about that one? Yeah, with Eleven, uh, you have the option on the Switch version to where you can play the game in uh, like old-school 2D overworld 8-bit style. Yeah, I didn't have the heart to even try that. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. But it does kind of, like, throw you for a loop if you're not used to the old style loop. Because, I mean, like, it completely changes everything to the old-school 8-bit. Even the combat menu and screen, everything. Which is a nice change-up if you're kind of tired of looking at the same thing. Go in 2D mode for a little bit. Trust me, it'll refresh your eyes. Square Enix, am I wrong in the name of this? 
Uh, yeah. Square uh, Enix. They also made Octopath Traveler for the Switch and other consoles now. It's like on mm-hmm. a few things. Which Octopath is another decent RPG that I recommend you give a try if you uh, haven't before. That's the farthest I've ever gotten the JRPG. I yeah. liked Octopath Traveler. There's a sequel out, I believe. Well, there is a multitude of JRPGs out there. Find your preference and go for it. Exactly. Have fun. But I do definitely recommend the Dragon Quest. And if you like, pick up one and you like it and you like the formula, check out the other ones. There are at least ten others to pick from. And uh, there has been plans for the newest installment, 12, to be released sometime, I believe, hopefully within the next year or two. What fascinates me the most is its effect on the Japanese economy occasionally. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I would buy props, memorabilia, and stuff like that if I had the money and given the opportunity and stuff. Just because, you know, like, I'm a fan of the franchise. Not a hardcore fanatic, though. You go over to Japan, however, and if there's, like, a it's release day for the new game, you better be prepared. For those of you that know what Black Friday used to be, imagine that, but cranked up to a point that you cannot imagine. Think of a... Uh society as and, best that is, you can. And, and that is no disrespect against the Japanese people because no. I understand it. America has Call of Duty days. Exactly. What we have as Call of Duty days is to them like Dragon Quest release days. I'm almost sure everybody or every kid at least has had a game they've stayed up all night playing when they shouldn't have or called into work because of it. Because Japan is a society based around like their work ethic. That's what Structure. we hear about. Structure. Yeah. It's their way of life. And they will call into work for this game. And that is saying something. I don't mean to sound prejudiced at all here. That is what we hear about the Japanese work life. You have to understand that Adam's uh, majority of his uh, understanding and education on Japanese culture comes from a series he watched uh, from James May. (laughs) The the salary man. (laughs) Yes. So, like, if that is anything to go by, then... Also the string of suicides that I hear about (laughs) occasionally from overwork. Yeah, something that you can probably hear uh, eventually on uh, one of our uh, other podcasts on the channel. Yeah, we'll discuss that at the end if you want to hear about it. But, I mean, I hear about a lot of the negative things that their work life leads to. And yeah. even it's in their anime, well, uh, I mean, some of them. Well, the way I look at it is, man, like, regardless of, like, where you're at out there in the world, if you get overworked and you get unhappy to a point, bad things can happen. And yeah. it's something that I hate. Which is one of the reasons why like, I like video games. Because, to be completely honest, guys, and I know that you know what I mean, if shit is going down, sometimes, even if it's just for a little bit, playing a video game, even if it's something simple from Solitaire, or if you're playing Call of Duty, it helps get your mind off stuff. It helps you process some things. And helps make things just a little bit more alright and takes the edge off. And it's a hell of a lot healthier than some, you know, some bullshit drugs out there. Try the best to find a game to get into. If you have a phone, you can play a game. For those that are of age, I'm not condoning anything. You know, like you do you. Any of y'all would have to admit, video games are one of the safest alternatives to helping you pass the time, help stimulate your brain, and work through stuff it really does do that and it'll keep you on your toes as well it ain't like you're not doing any there there is mindless games out there but most of them you have to put a little thought into well i've always been told that there's apparently been studies done that certain kinds of video games can like help improve like hand-eye coordination and reflexes and 
critical thinking, which I think that just depends on like what kind of exercise you're doing per se. Yeah. You know, like, like I don't know like exactly what part of the brain you're working when you're playing Grand Theft Auto. Again, no hating on Grand Theft Auto fans out there. <laughs> just example, and you know why I'm using that as an example too. I like strategy and I like story. That's why I like JRPGs. Yes. Usually, you know, there's like an anime-esque shonen kind of style story usually going on. And there's enough of the combat and collecting and everything else that goes on that kind of helps stimulate all the nice parts of my brain. Which, I just like RPGs in general, but JRPGs as far as like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, technically Pokemon, mm -hmm. and the majority of Nintendo licensed products. That's been my main experience with the JRPG scene. A little bit of Persona, Persona 5, I think it was. Played a little bit on it, but I've not uh, like sat down and like played it to completion or anything. That's one of those games that I feel like you really do need to be paying attention. I don't like the fact that your days are done on a timer, pretty much. Well, that's kind of the point of the gameplay style. Like They're all like that. And I understand. Yeah, that's what I, I've heard too. And I, so I never actually tried one. Well, I mean, that's what I mean. You know, like with that kind of like timer and like your time management becomes a thing, which I mean, mm -hmm. I like resource management as a feature in games. Time, I guess, is a resource. But. <laughs> exactly. You know, look at some games like that. Like there's either a formula that you can follow that allows you to do everything that you want to, or you can just kind of like play it like how you would you can emulate like yourself as a protagonist or you can like be play like a certain way that you want to be like no nah, screw everybody yeah you know like i don't want to love interest like i don't want friends like all of you can go to hell you know whatever you want to do which i i like games that kind of give you that ability to where actions have consequences in game yeah like not necessarily like every single one which if there's a game out there like that i'd like to hear about it at least when it comes to, like, Dragon Quest, there's only, like, certain times that picking a certain option will have a different outcome than choosing the other. Most of the time, the only difference you might get from choosing, like, one option versus the second one is a slight change in dialogue, which is cool, all in all. But I do like it when there's, like, actual, like, more repercussions for, like saying or acting within a certain manner. It's more of a, the role-playing part is you building your character, not making his decisions. Pretty much. No, that's that's fine. Most games are like that. It's, yeah. it's kind of hard to find some that isn't, that isn't. Well, like how we talked about like with Bethesda games, like your Skyrim or the Fallout, you know, like the majority of the game is essentially you build the character, you give them stats, and you go through the world, gain experience, level up, make your characters stronger the way you want them to be stronger, and then go from there. The majority of Bethesda's Fallout series has more decision-making in it than Skyrim or Oblivion. I don't mm -hmm. know about the older ones, Morrowind, really, when it comes to that, but I know in Fallout, you can make some huge decisions. See, now, like, I like when games have features like that. If you, like, make a decision that interferes with the politics... Or the economy in a game. Yeah. Like, I feel like there should be, like, some natural repercussions from that. Not just like, oh, that's just how things are now, you know, like, officially, but, like, there's no, like, actual visible change. Yeah. Well, in Fallout 3 and 4, but mostly 3 in New Vegas, there's visible change. Uh, the radio will talk about you in different ways. Even uh, the outros of the games, they will read out the things you've done in life and tell your long-term consequences to you as a credits like, roll. 
like all y'all are gonna think I'm boring as hell for saying this, but like I'm I'm the kind of person like I want there to be like consequences to where like if you flood the the game market with you know ten thousand iron daggers <laughs> Oops. and Skyrim. I don't know how I, that happens. Then I feel like, you know, like the overall value of Iron Daggers should plummet. They are like know, in to, stacks. Take one with every foot to the door. Yeah, <laughs> like 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 to where even if like something like that was a thing to where like a shopkeep was like at that point, like if you bought anything from them, they're like, here's an Iron Dagger. Or 12. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Just because like you flooded the markets and now like there's so many, like they're considered like useless now. So you go to Dragon Quest for the art and the style of gameplay. Yes. More than even more than the story, I would say. Well, to an extent, like I mean, I really like the combat and the way it's kind of like stylized with each character having their own specialty with their own type of unique abilities, which a lot of them usually have like some sort of like two or three way path that they can take as far as like what kind of style of combat they want to accomplish. And then they usually have, like, one or two different paths for their, like, unique trait and their affinity for magic, respectively. Mm-hmm. Because, like, some characters are just, the way they're initially built, there's certain abilities that they just can't learn. Kind of like your classic, like, white mage, black mage, fighter, knight, you know, stuff like that. Yes. Certain classes can gain certain abilities, but not all of them are created equal in the sense that they can all learn the same thing. Hence the reason why there's different classes. But like in Dragon Quest Eight, my preferred build was I like to have the hero would specialize in swords and boomerangs. Because uh, swords for the uh, ability to dual wield and the bonus to attack, but boomerangs was for like being able to take out large groups of enemies. Then I had a character, uh, Yangus. He specialized in axes and fisticuffs. I like the name. And I would have him carry an item called Tambriel of Tension, which I'll explain that in a second. And then I would have Angelo, which was like the pretty boy in the game. Uh, I would have him uh, focus on bows and swords, because if you max out his swords, he gained a, sp- a really strong lightning ability. But I like bows better, so usually with bows. Plus, I like the ultimate bow that you could get in the game, Odin's bow. And I was just a big fan of moves that allowed you to attack multiple enemies at once. Because for me, that was like my way of like helping with resource management as far as like MP and stuff like that goes. And then the last person on the squad was uh, Jessica, and she was the mage of the group. Like, she would just, like, cast, like, really strong magic attack spells, or usually, like, cast some sort of, like, healing. Basically, like, Angelo and Yangus, their main uh, purposes were actually to use their respective items called the Tampriel of Tension, which in 8, your characters could do something called Psych Up, and uh, basically that, that would increase, like, their level of tension, which would act kind of like a power multiplier on their ability for damage output, or for uh, resilience, like for withstanding damage. And this could increase in level. Once they hit 50 tension, they usually kind of like hit like a ceiling, and they couldn't like increase the tension anymore past that. But once your characters hit a certain overall level, uh, all of a sudden they were able to like break past that threshold, and they would basically reach, like, Tension 100, which was, remind you of, like, Kaioken from Dragon Ball. Because uh, all of a sudden, like, you gained, like, this purple aura 
and like your eye, like the character's eyes and stuff like that, kind of got like a more of a slanted look to them. And the main character, spoilers for those that don't know, whenever he does his for the first time, you actually get like a little like transformation cutscene sequence. And his character kind of reminds you uh, a little bit of Goku or Gohan. His hair is like covered with a bandana, his character model. Well, when he transforms into the super high tension, like the bandana disappears, and all of a sudden his hair spikes up, it's like he's went Super Saiyan, basically. I've seen it happen, and I'm pretty sure in Eleven you have something similar, but it's a special moves you can make and attacks and all that for your companions. Am I mm-hmm. wrong? In Eleven, you have the ability to do kind of like more combo attacks with your party, versus in Eight, it was more along the lines of like your synergy with what each individual was able to accomplish. Which, the synergy for different uh, people's attacks and stuff was something that I did enjoy as far as uh, 11 goes versus 8. But with 8, I, I guess just because it's kind of like a more, in a way, archaic way of how combat works with all the different characters is one of the reasons why I like it so much. In 8, usually if I was fighting a boss, like this is how my first turn would start. I would tell everybody what to do, and I would tell the hero to uh, psych up. Then I would have Yangus use Tamriel attention, which would increase everyone's level by one. And then Angelo would use his, which would also increase it by another one. With the hero doing his own, that would increase his to a third level. And then I would have Jessica cast Oomph on the main hero. So that doubled his attack power for a couple of turns. And then I would essentially, like, either uh, on the next turn go ahead and attack with the hero, or I would have him uh, psych up and uh, then have another round of uh, Yangus and Angela using the Temple of Tension. So, because the point of them is to use those items pretty consistently every turn to be able to keep everyone's tensions pretty high so they can have, like, pretty decent damage output. Yeah. Because most of the time, the hero I considered my main damage dealer, and then everyone else was kind of like support characters for everybody else. Because another thing that Yangus had was I gave him a Sage's Stone, which, when you use it as an item, it casts multi-heal on your party for zero MP. Well, that's pretty useful. <laughs> so, like, that was, like, my way of, like, being able to, like, maximize, like, my output to where, like, my MP is for offensive abilities. Like, if I need to, like, kill myself, I have other means. It's just, like, one strategy that you can do. I have one healer and the rest are just damage dealers. Well, that's usually how, like, a lot of the party systems usually end up working unless you're, like, in, like, a Final Fantasy game where you end up with, like, 15 members and you can only choose, like, three or four of them to make a party. Uh-huh. You know? A lot of times, like, usually with, like, the skill systems, like, everyone, to an extent, is kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, but they have, like, certain specialties that only they can go into, usually. Which, uh, one specialty that I liked Yangus had was, uh, he was also the only character that could equip flails, and in the original version of the game, before they re-released it, uh, there was only one, f- uh, I think there was, like, one flail that you could get, and it was one that you had to get from Red. A character in the game that was, uh, I believe, supposed to be just kind of like subtly insinuated to be like an ex love interest of Yangus. It's one of those situations you're like, she was with him, and you're like, nah. But then again, <laughs> you know, if you're a Dragon Ball fan, like you understand, like it wouldn't be that surprising. Yeah, when you think about it, because they had some uh, 
interesting characters of uh, people you would never expect. And spoilers, too. There's usually dragons involved. Dragon Quest. I'm looking at the cover for the 11th game right now, mm-hmm. and I see a dragon. And that's just kind of like the... I know it's kind of like, it seems like redundant to say this, but that's like just kind of like part of the point, I guess. It, it's not like wholly dragon-themed, but like dragons are a part of it. Dragons are a thing. Sometimes you'll fight dragons, sometimes like you'll like talk to them, sometimes like you'll find out that there's some sort of god or some sort of spirit that you have no hope of actually like interacting with. All you can do is just hope not to piss it off. Or you're the chosen one, and somehow it, it's a dragon that has chosen you. Spoilers again for Eleven. One of the big monumental moments in the gameplay is whenever like you're interacting with like the spirit of Yggdrasil, which is the tree of life for this realm. Essentially, like they kind of like follow the mentality that all life comes from the tree, and that when life ends, like your essence returns to the tree to kind of like be recycled into a new life. Well, the tree, the spirit of the tree, Yggdrasil. Uh, has always kind of like had a champion, per se. And whenever there's a time of need, it chooses this champion and embows him with the power of the Luminary, which basically allows them to channel the power of the spirit of Yggdrasil themselves. On one occasion, when the spirit or energy or whatever of Yggdrasil leaves the tree, which has essentially been its host and home for the last millennia, leaves and it takes on the form of... uh, a golden dragon, which there's also a uh, move that you can do in 11, which I believe it does take all of your party members to pull it off, but it's like the Rage of Yggdrasil or something, and like you channel all your energy into this massive shot, and it's a, a giant golden dragon that like chomps down on the enemy. I mean, that sounds cool enough for me. I mean, I thought so. I, I just like it because like there's like serious tones, but there's quirky tones sometimes. Like there's enough to where like okay, like there's like some serious shit going on, but like the game is not so serious that you get like down and out by playing it, or at least I don't. When I was playing, what little bit I did play, I never felt it was overwhelmingly depressing in any way. So nah, which I mean, like any one particular thing could potentially be overwhelmingly depressing if you focus on it enough or long enough. I think any good story, though, has, like, ups and downs to it. Like, if it's nothing but positive stuff, like, eventually that becomes kind of boring. That's only my personal opinion. I know, I I couldn't take positive all the time, either. It's just like watching a Sunday morning cartoon or something. Well, I mean, like, you want to try to, like, grow from some negative feedback, which I think is good. You know, it also helps keep you humble. I played that Dragon Quest VIII game, though, like, so many times that I ended up, like, wearing the disc out. Oh. broke. Oh, no. Which, I mean, like, for those that know, that's saying something, man. PlayStation 2, correct? Yeah, which, I mean, I also admit I'm guilty of being one of those people that never took the disc out. I took the disc out, took care of everything. I was looking it up here, and it's it's available places for the PlayStation if you have a PlayStation 2. I'm mm-hmm. sure you can maybe find it somewhere else in some more sketchy way I'm not mm-hmm. familiar with. The only one I can find easily enough is the 11th one. Yeah. Which is available on every major console <laughs> and PC. Well, if you want to play 8, my recommendation is try to hit up like one of your local game stores or game shops and see if they have an old copy sitting on a shelf that hasn't been sold or some or one that someone's traded in. I found it. Amazon, PlayStation 2 for $59. <laughs> well, I mean, that's really the only place I see. Well, you can follow our affiliate link. If you really want to pay that much for it, 
I, don't, I guess it's fair, fifty-one ninety-nine. I'll add the affiliate links for the eighth one that's fifty-one dollars, and the eleventh one, the definitive edition, mm. has extra content in it. I'll add it for all the major consoles, the Switch and the PC. I'll add those affiliate links into the description of this episode. So if you buy anything like that from Amazon, you will get a small kickback from it, but the price will not change for you. It just helps us out. Yeah, and we appreciate it, you know, if you manage to do it. Yeah, I learn a little bit about the game every time you say something about it. It's as new for me. It's always good to hear, man. Like, I mean, that's part of the reason for this whole podcast too you know like to where we're like helping to like not just share our experiences but also like kind of help educate each other a little bit on stuff that we don't know so much about let's hope we can educate ourselves and others at the same time hope so we well, can all learn together but let's do that positive out <laughs> uh, as positive as we can get okay i've enjoyed this so far i as well we're part of a larger network known as the gruesome gaming group yeah, we have a Twitter account and a couple other podcasts we do. The Twitter account is Gruesome Gaming G. If you want to contact us there, you can tweet at us or whatever, give us ideas or tell us what you think. Or if we got something wrong, you could let us know. And we'd really like to hear the feedback, guys. So yeah. Feel free. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Some apps let you leave reviews. The other podcast I do is with my sister. It's called Horrific History and Hauntings. The title says it all. We go over bad things that's happened in history or ghostly things are usually bad things that lead to a ghostly encounter stuff like that yeah Um, if you're a fan of more of the dark and morbid side of history definitely check it out i think we need to have dakota as a guest sometime if he wants to i'm down and that leads us to our other podcast called brother knows quest it's a podcast i go down to my sisters or she comes to me and i talk about one of the many tabletop role-playing games i got and try to explain the setting a few of the rules to her and see if she would ever want to play it. If you're a little bit more on the nerdy side like us for tabletop RPGs, you know, like, and want to check out some different, you know, game systems out there, you've never really, like, took the time to sit down and either buy the books or check them out yourself, definitely, you know, like, give a listen to Brother Knows Quest, and you'll listen to Ramey and Beth kind of, like, figure out a lot of what they're uh, doing as far as the rules go for some of these systems. We cover a bit here and there, and Dakota's the one introduced me to tabletop role-playing games, so well, we're going to have to Specifically D&D, 5th edition. I found the rest myself. Yeah, planted the seed <laughs> and see the forest that is grown. <laughs> we appreciate you listening. I've been Ramey. And this has been Dakota. Logging off. Logging off. Logging off.